This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. I am happy to present part two of my conversation with Michael Stern, conductor and son of Isaac Stern, one of the premier violinists of the 20th century. I am always fascinated by the work and journeys of orchestral conductors. It was the legendary conductor and teacher of conducting at the Curtis Institute, Max Rudolph, who said, The best way to learn to conduct is to conduct. The second best way to learn is to observe. And the third best way is to go and get a teacher. Simple but profound words that conductor Michael Stern followed. His studies with maestro Max Rudolph and his eventual co-editing of Rudolph's landmark book, The Grammar of Conducting, secured a journey that would lead him to work with notable world-class international orchestras. I feel his link with Rudolph led him into a period of his life where he was able to develop his own personal voice as a musician. The recent appointment of Michael Stern as music director of the Stanford Symphony has afforded me the opportunity to speak with him in this extended interview about his life and work. The Stanford Symphony opened their new season last week with Maestro Stern at the podium in a concert including a new work, Apu, by the modern composer Gabriella Lena Frank, the Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto Number no. 2 with Stephen Huff at the keyboard, and the Tchaikovsky Symphony Number no. 4. This was a tailor-made entrance for Maestro Stern to flex his communicative power with a symphony orchestra that is currently having a significant renaissance. Stern's early work assisting with the Cleveland Symphony led to his appointment as permanent guest conductor of the Orchestre Nationale de Lyon and principal conductor of the Saarbrücken Radio Symphony Orchestra in Germany. The Iris Orchestra in Germantown, Tennessee, which he founded, and his appointment as music director of the Kansas City Symphony have been his labors of love. Both orchestras have earned him the reputation as a programming visionary, and both have actively recorded, earning a Grammy Award for Artistic Achievements of the Kansas City Symphony. In part two of our conversation, Michael Stern speaks about the founding of the Iris Orchestra, his contract renewal with the Kansas City Orchestra, and his future with the Stamford Symphony. But first, let's begin with a newly released recording of Gustav Holst's The Planets with the Kansas City Symphony and Michael Stern conductor. Here is Mars, the bringer of war. Thank you. 
I had been a music director in Germany in Saarbrücken, the Saarbrücken Radio Symphony Orchestra, mm -hmm. for four years. Um, I had some personal issues. My first marriage was ending. Um, I had wanted to come back to the United States, and um, I was just con guest conducting. And in one of my guest conducting stints, um, improbably, I just did a one-off gala with um, with Yo-Yo Ma, actually, who is a very close friend since childhood. And he and I were just doing this one gala program with the Memphis Symphony at a performing arts center down there. Um, and I couldn't understand quite why until I realized it was for a string program that they were starting to replace the arts education that had been cut by budget cuts in the public school system. Too bad. Mm. So it was an incredibly sort of gratifying moment to be able to help get that started. And the guy who was running the Performing Arts Center, out of the blue, said, we opened the center four years ago. I think we need a resident group. I want to start an orchestra. You're the person to do it. Let's do it. <laughs> and I looked at them and I said, Albert, his name was Albert Pertalian. He just passed away a month ago, oh, sadly. Sad. And uh, But he... It was so pie in the sky, and I was not looking necessarily for a position. Right. It sounded, you know, I'm a little bit of a New York snob, I will admit. At least <laughs> I certainly was then, That's and okay. being down south was frightening to me. And um, I, I expected the worst kind of answer when I said, what do you hope to accomplish with this? Well, and exactly. I, you know, this just, is the land of Elvis Presley. Well, exactly. That's exactly where I went. And uh, his response was pretty flabbergasting. He said... He was a theater guy. He didn't know that much about music, but he loved music. He said, the South has a huge history of horticulture, cooking, blues music, literature, um, you name it, painting. But in art music, serious music, or mm. not serious music, but concert music, they have no tradition. And I think we should change that. And I would like to have a group which commissions contemporary composers and is a friend to composers across the United States. Not the answer I was expecting. Not at all. So I said, how do you envision this? And he said, you tell me if you had a wish list, an idea. I said, well, you can put together an orchestra. You have it be a collective, a really democratic ideal. You have people coming in from all over. And it's exactly what we did. This was eventually he got the funding. We were for several years, the only 100% municipally funded orchestra in the entire United States. This is incredible. The players came from all over. They came from the established players in, in big orchestras. They came from smaller groups, chamber ensembles. Some were graduate students. Some were undergraduates. They came from every corner of the United States. They auditioned. It's not a pickup orchestra. It's, a, it's now a rather large pool of players from which we we can bring together whatever forces we need to make those programs happen. We've had a list of soloists, which is the equal to any, I mean, literally everybody that you ever heard of has played with us or would want to practically. Um, from Yo-Yo, who gave the first concert with us, and he's been back three How or four incredible. times. Emmanuel Axe, Gil Shaham, mm -hmm. Yefim Bronfman, mm -hmm. Don Upshaw. I mean, the, the, the it just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, we just 
last week played with Garrick Olson. He was magnificent. Um, so what vision this was for the start of this orchestra? It was to sort of reimagine what an orchestra could accomplish in the community mm-hmm. in terms of engagement, in terms of outreach, but also in terms of um, combining old music and commissioning new music and putting programs together that would challenge the audience. And, I mean, they didn't know that they wanted all this stuff, but they got it. And we commissioned and recorded music by Stephen Hartke and uh-huh. Ellen Tafswillick and uh, Richard Danielpour and Jonathan Leshnoff and Adam Schoenberg and uh, Huang Ro. And, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on there also. And we're starting our 20th anniversary season. How exciting. And it's really, and all of these people who come to play are employed elsewhere, whether it's as on faculties, in chamber groups, in orchestras, mm. and they make the time because year after year after year, this is a priority for them. They make the time to come back, and it's it's arguably the most family-feeling musical group I've ever experienced. It's It's kind of extraordinary. And how many concerts do you do a year? So now this season we're going to give five programs a year. Uh, it, it, at one point it was up to eight. Um, it's a question now of time for me because yeah. and for them too because mm-hmm. there's a <laughs> we have a lot going on. But it is a labor of love and um, and it really has proven to be something absolutely other in my musical experience. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Did you just put a general call out for auditions for this? Some of it was word of mouth. We did advertise. It was, um, Tennessee is a right-to-work state, so it was not, um, it was not necessary to do things exactly by union rules, Mm -hmm. but uh, this was one thing that Albert insisted on. You treat people with respect. And even in the worst time, downturns in the economy, we never missed a paycheck for the musicians. Uh, and they get paid, let's say, far more than what the Memphis Symphony got mm. paid. Which, But that's, I feel for the Memphis Symphony because they are good people and they deserve much better. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, but we right from the beginning, we paid, and everybody gets paid exactly the same. There's no hierarchy in the orchestra. Oh, so I see. somebody who plays concertmaster on one concert can play in the second violins in the next, and the person who plays first flute or second oboe will swap on one half to the second half and play another. So there's okay. no there's there's a complete absence of competitiveness mm-hmm. and of routine. Right, and right. it's all experimental. And even the way we we rehearse is much more. It's like a large chamber group. It's much more freewheeling and and uh, collegial, and, and it's really an extraordinary thing. And do you have assistance for that for yourself, uh, conducting assistance? No. And no, you no. do all the work. Yeah, that will at some point transition because the greatest legacy we can live is that uh, that leave is that the the idea of Iris Orchestra continues. It should not be tied to one person. I, but the fact is that I have been doing it for twenty years. That's amazing. And this, I'm fascinated by the name Iris. Yeah. So for a lot of people for a long time thought it was an acronym of some sort because we capitalized it. Now we've stopped capitalizing it because it's too <laughs> confusing. I always liked the idea that Iris was a new way of seeing things in music, but that uh, was a little arch and kind of okay. stupid. Iris is the state flower of Tennessee. I love it. It's that simple? Yeah. So speaking of seeing... 
you have called the Kaufman Performance Hall in Kansas City. The Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts, yeah. A, a, thank you. A, a sight to hear. Yeah. It is one of the miraculous halls in the country. First of all, it's beautiful to look at. Moshe Safdi, who is also a friend and a great architect, did a magnificent thing for the city. He built this structure on the hill, which is, it became instantly an icon for the city. Um, and I described the building. It, some people think it looks a little bit like the Sydney Opera House, mm -hmm. except that our roof doesn't leak. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was lucky. It has that same kind of billow. I mean, the Sydney Opera House was uh, consciously built to approximate the look of a ship in the harbor, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So this doesn't have any kind of connotation of uh, any nautical association, but the way the building is shaped and formed, it looks like it's breathing. It's really an incredible thing. And when you think about the art that goes on inside it, from the beginning I said the building might be beautiful, but if we don't make the commensurate quality of art inside, it's not going to mean anything. And I think the lift that it's given, I mean, it has a dedicated space for opera and, and um, it's a, there's a proscenium theater for shows and mm -hmm. ballet. And, mm -hmm. and we have a dedicated concert hall, the acoustician for which was the same Yasu Toyota who designed Disney Hall in L.A. Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. this hall is better. I honestly believe it. And I think he probably wouldn't disagree with that. It's... It's an acoustical marvel, and everybody who comes through. I mean, the Chicago Symphony came through on tour. The L.A. Phil came through on tour. They were completely blown away. I can imagine. And for us to use that hall for all of our rehearsals and performances, and, I mean, we are very lucky <clears throat> in Kansas City because, I mean, we were maybe lucky. It didn't have that much to do with it, but we were lucky because we have an incredible community. But we worked really hard <clears throat> for the last – I'm now there 15 years, mm -hmm. but for the last – eight, nine years, every year has had a surplus. We're at about 92% paid attendance across all our series. Mm -hmm. um, we have a diversity of programming, which is pretty extraordinary. Unbelievable stability, both financially and administratively. And I think one of the greatest indicators of all is that we not only negotiated the last contract with the musicians, but also the more recent contract extension for them with no lawyers. Wow. Now yeah. that, that is a feat. Good for you. Which is, it, it speaks to the culture mm -hmm. and the enlightenment, both the musicians and the board. The board is extraordinary. And the staff, um, we're just incredibly... So there is a family feel to everything you do, Michael Stern, I get the impression, from Iris to Kansas City. I mean, I do. Uh, Iris is a labor of love, but Kansas City Symphony. I just extended my contract there as well mm -hmm. <clears throat> through 2023, and I love those people. I truly love those people. I love the place. I love the community. I love the music we make. They are sounding incredibly well. We just had another recording. Um, did I say they're sounding well? They're sounding good. <laughs> Um, I, I got <laughs> lost in the phrase. <laughs> I had to stop and think. <laughs> I rewound the tape there. So um, you have a recording out of Holst Planets. Just came out, but yeah. we, we've made seven or eight recordings that have all been Yeah, you talked about nicely. Adam Schoenberg, your, your Grammy Award-winning CDs. Um, we, 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 we're doing okay. You're doing okay. Yeah, we're doing okay. Yeah. And I love the smile on your face when you talk about this community. They're really... I think if you don't 
see your work in the larger context of doing something for the community, then yeah, you're also you're, missing the point. You're lost, yeah, like we spoke about in conducting. Right. So now on to Stamford Symphony in your own home ground. Well, that's really where it, where it started and where the animus came from because um, my children live here in mm-hmm. Old Greenwich, and um, I, the idea of, of giving back to the community and doing something meaningful in the community where they're growing up was a huge motivating factor. I was not looking for this. I didn't, wasn't registering that they were looking for somebody, but um, the person who was running their search called me up out of the blue. They'd already been looking for a couple of years, and they hadn't found anybody. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I mean, it's not going to have an impact on Kansas City, on my work. It may cut down a little bit on my guest conducting while my kids are still in primary and middle school. But why shouldn't that be the case? Because all I really want to do is sit in my kitchen and bake bread with them. I mean, honestly, I... So the idea of finding a way to contribute meaningfully in this community was already attractive to me. And I just, I mean, my children come first over everything, so I wanted something there. But then they invited me to do a concert, and the collection of musicians that make up the Stanford Symphony, um, they are extraordinary people. Mm -hmm. They're really something special. And so, and and they have ambition, and they have real dedication, and... That in and of itself is inspiring. Also, you of know, course. you get jazzed when you are around people who have the same level of, or or even are, are, are you know begging for um, riches. Well, for uh, t- to do something really significant, and That's and right. they they they've got game musically. They've and got game. They brought in executive director Russell oh, Jones, who has changed the entire dynamic. Russell is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, this guy is one of the smartest. Aside from the fact that we share the somewhat um, bizarre sense of humor that some people don't can't fathom, um, but I love. That's he, a leaning towards the British, I would think. Yeah. I, I'm not <laughs> leaning anywhere. I'm just saying. <laughs> but um, he is one of the most astute, musically aware strategic and and I will I'll just use the use the word loving administrators you can yeah. imagine because he's doing this in a in a comprehensive way beyond simply ticking off the boxes and get, he wants to accomplish something for this community and for music mm-hmm. which could be truly exceptional and so mm-hmm. if we can be complicit in that and invent something that could be really fun. I and we have this are. concert this weekend, which was not supposed to be, um, it was not, I was not invited to conduct it. Really? Yeah. And because, but then the search happened and we made the decision together to do what we're doing. And for reasons completely unconnected with me, the conductor who had been talked about for that concert pulled out. And so they needed to hire somebody. So it was kind of meant to be, yeah. right? So I can, I think the official full season starts next year because I didn't have any time. My 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 uh, calendar see. was all filled up. But okay. I just happened to have, I was supposed to be in London and that date got postponed. Mm-hmm. So I had the week free and I was thinking, I'm not going to take anything because I have an extra week with my kids. Now I have an extra week with my kids and I have this concert with Stephen Huff, who is... 
a phenomenal. phenomenal pianist. And the program was set with Tchaikovsky IV and Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto, and both iconic masterpieces, which I'm happy to do, plus a really interesting, wonderful, um, fairly new work. It was written a couple of years ago by uh, Gabriela Lina Frank mm-hmm. uh, called Apu, a tone poem. And it's, it's taken from Peruvian mythology, but it's very folkloristic and full of color and rhythm. And it's a great, fun way to start the program. Um, so I was delighted to do it. And then I'm coming back in February uh, to do an all Beethoven program with Pamela Frank, mm-hmm. who is one of my dear friends and a consummate violinist. And we're, you know, using that concert to celebrate the 250th anniversary of Beethoven's birth. This is so, so it all sort of came it's together in a really around. good way. I love this. And I gather you were just working with Joshua Bell on the red violin. Uh, I did some of that uh, last summer and earlier this season. Yeah, and I'll do it again a couple of times. That's now, just a fun project. That's he, he, he and I are very old friends. He played for the original movie 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so we did these performances um, where we played live for the movie. And that was fun. And that's so much fun, that yeah. whole synchronization of getting that together. And, and, yeah, it's and my, it sells tickets, doesn't it, Michael? I guess it sells tickets, yes. It but does. it was um, – it's not at all my my thing. I, I, I respect so much people who are really expert at mm-hmm. doing this live music to the film. It's mm-hmm. It's – it's crazy making, right? Because you have a click track and you have, you have to watch the monitor and you have to, and at the same time you have to be in the music and actually give a real performance. The score for the red violin was written by John Corigliano, another friend. And it's a wonderful score, but it's not throwaway music at all. It's no, really, not at all. It's so gorgeous. it was a challenge, but I, I, I love doing it. It was great. It's all consuming. Listen, tell me, are you the kind of guy that gets into, you know, discovery, a research and discovery in a piece? Or are you, you the kind of guy that loves the performance? Which one? Or are they equal? If, you do, if you're doing your job as, as a conductor, you can't not do one. Mm. Because if you leave all of that sort of on the page and studying and you don't bring a performance to life, then why do you expect people to come and, and listen? And how do you expect the the players to get excited about being there with you? They can play with yeah. somebody else. Yeah. But if you don't do the homework, you're not going to be able to do that properly. Hmm. I don't believe mm-hmm. that performances come on the fly. But I also don't believe that you work everything out and then everything is set. So it's like we said before, you have to have the the rigor and the integrity mm-hmm. of knowing why you're making the decisions that you're making. Music Making music is about decision-making. Mm-hmm. But then you have to let all of that get completely... You have to, you have to throw yourself into the music with as much abandon as you can. Absolutely. So, and, and if you don't do that, um, I think you're doing the music a disservice. You know, in, in my own singing, I refer to it as controlled abandon. Where you get to that point where it's so spontaneous and all the preparation that's gone into it is just is just revealed. Well, the more technique and the more rigor you put into that preparation, the freer you can be yeah. because you have the base, uh, the foundation mm-hmm. for whatever liberty you want to take. If you mm-hmm. have no foundation, you're actually hamstrung because you're trying to be free and you have nothing, you have nowhere to put your feet. You know, Absolutely. you're trying to jump around, but you have nowhere to land. So um, I think and the other thing is it interests me to study. You know, Right. I mean, who are we to compare ourselves to these people who I mean, honestly, there are some wonderful 
composers who conduct, I will admit. But by and large, performers are recreators. Mm-hmm. They can be great. Exactly. But, you know, Leonard Bernstein always used to say when he really felt like he was doing a service to the piece, he was almost recomposing it as he went along because exactly. it was so in him. So, but the idea that you could write one page of the quality of what these guys were churning out their entire lives, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't give the respect to what's on the page, I mean, they, they wrote it down. You better damn well learn it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Michael Stern, this has been such an extraordinary interview. I, I love your energy. I love the look in your face even when you start to talk about your love of music and recreating. If there is one word that you can find that might sum you up, is it possible? Oh, my gosh. No. Um <laughs> Tired. <laughs> Tired. I love no, it. No, <laughs> I, um, I... One word. Oh, my goodness. Now you've stumped me. Um, oh, look at that. Mm, I like to do that every once in a while. I, I, will, I, I like to think of myself as a caring person. Okay. I care about my work. I care about my children. I care about the environment. I care about, you know. Mm. But what does that mean, really? It sounds slightly silly. I mean... Not really. I think human beings are complicated. I think life can be complicated. So, and music can help to simplify that and give well, us. Well, it can. It can help to. Um, it helps to define it, and it helps to focus it. I don't know if it simplifies it. it, in, it if anything, it enriches it, right? Of that's, course, but, but it, that's it, adding a layer. But it can help us find our way. It is a complicated life, you know. And music can be a, a healer, but also an equalizer, I think. And I think music as serv- or music making or the role of the musician as providing an act of service in whichever way specifically you want it to be at that moment. It can be healing. It can be entertainment mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. It can be uh, explanation. It can be bearing witness. It can be, it can be any number of things. Um, but if you always come to either a performance or just the act of making music um, from the point of view of making a statement about something which isn't about you, yeah, yeah, then it's fine. Then you can do anything you want. Once it becomes about you and you take yourself too seriously, I think you've lost your way. Yeah. So said very well, and it is an act of service. Michael Stern, I want to thank you so much for being on Center Stage. This has been really incredible to have this time with you and in your busy schedule. Thanks so much, and best of luck with all your orchestras, and especially the Stanford Symphony. I'm looking this, forward to it. And this new beginning. Thank you so much. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage.